spent too much time in California. Now I got that Rona. Gotta be a loner. Staring at my phone. Gotta be a loner. Gotta be a loner. Hey, welcome back to the Alona Virus podcast. This is it. Uh, took last week off because it did not uh, feel right to do a podcast and who the fuck cares what I have to say, you know, with everything that's going on and, uh, you know, I decided to come back and do this one, um, but I don't know if I'll continue um, for many reasons. One is, you know, this is a podcast about life during this pandemic, essentially, and, uh, you know, I didn't think there was anything that would be able to take my mind off of that until the pandemic was over. Uh, so, um, I was wrong about that. Things have happened that have taken my mind off of it and become the number one slot in my brain and most people's brains and, uh, for, for, for good reason, but, uh, very much unforeseen, but also not, but you know, it's a, it's an unusual time. Um, so I, anyway, I don't know if there's a, a room there's room for this podcast or my voice right now um but i did have this podcast planned so we went through with it and i think it's really good and um it's with my friend ryan um who works he's a a reporter he's a journalist he works for the the um wall street journal and so he he has a very interesting perspective on uh the news and the media and um how that's been handling the pandemic and we talk about other things that are going on if it matters from us if our perspective matters is what i mean it matters it matters black lives matter it matters but i'm saying i don't know if uh, our words necessarily matter but if you're hearing this and you didn't realize that then good thing you're here right? And there's a million metaphors for this at this point, and if you don't get it, probably not gonna get it, but uh, if you say all lives matter, you are either ignorant to the issue, or you're just overtly racist. There are worse things you could say, I guess, if you're overly racist, but you could be trying to be sly. But anyway, I think the point is trying to reach the, maybe just the ignorant people at this time so that the overt asshole racists could get, could lose their power and laughed out of the room. And I guess the idea is we need to build a room in which they will be laughed out of a world in which they those people have no power or say and you know they're always going to exist but the fact that they have power and and uh people listen to them and they have a voice and they might be the president um is what is really the problem so you know that's what needs to change and if someone comes up to you, maybe your wife or your partner or your spouse or your husband or your girlfriend, your boyfriend says 
says, I love you, and you say, I love everyone. You're hoping that, uh, you know, the message is in there somewhere, right? Is that what, that's kind of what all lives matter is. You're like, yeah, I agree with you. You know, like the message is in there. Don't you get it? No. No. You need to take this point in time and focus on the work that actually has to be done and reach a critical mass so that shit changes. And you need to actually focus your attention on that thing at that at this time. Saying I love everyone is pretty fucking evasive at best. It, at best, it's it's a very terrible way of conveying your message, right? At worst, it's overtly destructive and shitty. So if you needed to hear that, then I'm glad that you did. It's raining hard now. So uh, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Alonavirus podcast. I'm my friend Ryan. Uh, he's a very thoughtful and kind man, and I've known him for almost my whole life. So um, yeah, check out the episode. And uh, let me know what you think. Might not hear from me in this uh, format for a while, but maybe you will. I don't know. Okay. Two heads. Cool. All right. Thanks, Ryan, for being here. Uh, this is the Alonavirus podcast. I'm here with one of my very good friends, Ryan. Ryan is a as a reporter from the uh, the Wall Street Journal. Is that is that right? Did I get that right? You did. <laughs> awesome. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is fun, and uh, it's also nice to see friends. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's great to see your face. Yeah, I know we we catch up on some group Zoom calls sometimes, but we don't get to hash it out one on one. I know. I was thinking that today, like, and I'll we'll just put this out there, like, so I've known you for, uh, since probably fifth grade. Sounds about right. So that's a long time. And, um, we are sometimes indirectly, but we are in constant communication. Like we've had a group text <laughs> that's been going on for like, I would say three years, something like that. Yeah, how long has it been? I don't know. It's the amount of activity is really kind of insane. Right. Yeah. You know? But the point but, is that it's rare that you and I get texts. What's that? There's just way too many texts. It's there's way too many texts, I agree. And now there's like multiple threads within the group. It's crazy. But the point is that it's rare that you and I get to speak uh one on one these days. Yes. So this is a it's a nice uh it's a nice little way to be able to do that and uh you know i didn't put out a podcast this week because um i just felt i just felt really weird i don't think anybody's missing it to be honest i don't think there's anybody out there like where's the alone virus podcast but um i just i for one didn't feel like very creative but also i, I just kind of looked at it like 
nobody really needs to hear my voice right now. And also the past couple of months, the pandemic has been just at the forefront of my mind almost all the time. And then just this past week, uh, it hasn't. And that's not because the pandemic is any less of a concern. It's just that what's going on now has even taken priority uh, beyond that. So it's just been weird. And this is the first podcast I've done uh, in this new social and political climate. Um, so I, I don't have a, a, I don't have a great idea of how this is going to go because I, my thoughts are not very organized, but uh, I'm glad that you're here to join me on this experience. Isn't it amazing that there is a story and, or, or I say story cause I'm a journalist, but I guess really a thing happening in the world that seems like a bigger deal than the coronavirus pandemic. Like, it really is. Like, could you have comprehended that a week, a, a few weeks ago, that something like that could happen? You know what I mean? Other than like World War Three or a nuclear attack or some insane thing, you know, it's like, it's wild. Yeah, right. There's a pandemic affecting millions of people directly and then like tens or hundreds of millions more indirectly. And then there's something else that's even more important all of a sudden that's just like at, that has taken precedence in my mind which is like if you told me that two weeks ago i'd have been like that doesn't seem possible you know like this yeah. is just like constant source of anxiety and constant source of thought and like i was already i was at the point of like sort of planning my return to real life and then now it's just like okay i have no idea what real life even is right now uh, but i'll be explicit like Maybe somebody listening to this doesn't know what we're talking about. That seems impossible, but um, you know, just like the, the the Black Lives Matter and the protests going on literally around the world after directly after the the murder of George Floyd last week, um, and that's kind of what everybody's doing, thinking about, talking about, on whichever side that they happen to be on. Uh, I mean, I am just coming from a protest myself today. That's the last thing I did today. So, uh, What's that like it was, um, it was, it was good. It was like heartening, but also scary a little bit at the same time. Uh, I'm just, you know, here in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, which is not where, where we grew up in New Jersey. Uh, it's a very different place. It's a small town and it's pretty homogenous. It's not a diverse place. So I kind of, and I, I also don't, I'm not that familiar with the people. And um, so I, I went into it thinking it would probably be just like a small gathering of like a few people. Um, but it was pretty big. I don't can maybe a couple hundred people. And, uh, so that was cool. That was great. And there were speakers and it was pretty moving. And we did like nine minutes of silence and all that was like very heavy and pretty moving. And then gradually you get um, people trying to figure out you're there. And then there's dudes that like a coordinated like drive by like these three trucks, like pickup trucks with Trump flags, like honking and like stealing, stealing focus. And then there's like 
a bunch of open carry people that just start walking the perimeter because it's uh, in a park with like a path around it and they're just walking around with their gun on their belt and just like not saying anything just like intimidating stealing focus and then there's people with put their cameras in your face like smile everybody and i'm just like it, I, I was uncomfortable at a certain point where the the people putting cameras in your face seem to be like not there to protest or do you mean like yeah. other protesters filming no no people that are like very much like want to get your face on camera for some other reason so they have a record of you process man that's wild yeah i was just explaining this to dean um are you familiar with like doxing and all that yes so i i feel like there's that's what people do to retaliate like people that are uh counter protesters you know they want to get your face on camera and then they try to identify people just like you know the way people try to identify people in the uh like violent protests or whatever or the uh the uh charlottesville thing people were like who are these these dudes you know it's like just the same sort of thing and it's kind of scary because i don't know what that retaliation would look like around here yeah wow that is scary i it, it makes me think of uh as you know i write about technology policy and uh i've written a couple articles about facial recognition technology which is uh, very good now and fairly widely available or or at least like it's if it's it seems like it's going to be fairly widely available soon and if so having your picture there's a lot of things that people could then potentially if they had access to the right technology could find a lot of other pictures of you or find your find other things about you online just from your face without knowing your name without knowing where you live they might be able to find that out just by taking your picture so it's like this new world that we live in right that um, I think it's it's still kind of hard to for the average person to get their hands on a facial recognition system like that but it's like in theory possible it's definitely a little scary especially if like some people read these protests as being anti-police like they'll get try to get in on the side of police like maybe i'm thinking they have more resources than the average person does i don't know i mean i i think it's crazy that people read these protests as being strictly anti-police because i don't think that's the intention yeah like what were the what were the words that were said by the speakers like what was the intention what, what were people talking about it's just i mean very simply that black lives matter and that people shouldn't be targeted and killed because of something out of their control like their skin color i mean maybe not anything at all but like that's certainly not the reason if there is one and uh i mean that was the message it wasn't like fuck police the police or something yeah yeah it's it's like yes all lives do matter but obviously you're saying that and they don't to you because you don't value 
our lives. So how can that be true? It's like both of these things, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, both of those things should be true, but they're not. And at this point, we can't hold both of those things as truth at, and at the same time. So, I mean, that's the message. It's like, make this one true so this one can be true. The, I, I heard a professor, uh, a black professor talking on the radio the other day who said Black Lives Matter means Black Lives Matter also. Like, it, it doesn't mean other lives don't matter. It means, you know, we feel like our lives haven't mattered. Right. They do. You know, it's not like exclusive of other lives mattering or something, you know, you know. Right. It's like, let's put some focus here because it, it needs yes. it. Right. Right. And then I, the, I guess the ideal would be like, once everybody recognizes and changes their behavior and we get to this point where black lives matter and that's doesn't need to be said anymore, then we can move on to, oh yeah, all lives do matter. We, you know, like we're, but I, I don't see well, the that. lives of, you know, the, other sort of more privileged races don't have to necessarily need a movement to like oh no get that you know so um i'm, I'm asking all the questions though i should probably let you ask questions you can you can tell well, like us. i said i don't know usually i have a page of notes and questions and i don't today because i don't i i mean this podcast has been about how the pandemic is affecting people but now it's like yeah i don't know how to ask those questions right now and i feel like yeah. I feel like in a little bit of a bind because I don't want to be just like two white guys talking about like racial issues either, because that doesn't right. feel right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Callie, my wife, Callie said uh, today that she saw an Instagram post where someone said, I'm muting myself. She was like, so why are you posting? Yeah. Like, I like, like I'm posting to say that I'm muting my voice so that others can speak well just don't say anything <laughs> i know well that's very like social media culture anyway yeah. it's like yeah yeah i mean that's been a just looking at instagram and stuff the past few days has been kind of crazy too because i feel like there's this people are like policing the internet now too in a, in a way that doesn't feel that constructive i don't know if you've seen that at all but it's like you didn't you didn't post your black square correctly or you know like your hashtag is wrong and i understand that like there is maybe some value to that one but but other stuff is just like people are trying to be supportive and like you know learning how to do that yeah 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 so it's it's just crazy how there's all these things happening at the same time you have the pandemic you have I mean, how many moments in history has there been a protest in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, and New York, and every city, and all these small towns? I mean, that is crazy. And 18 and, other countries. Right. Um, and I was trying to think, I, I, I heard this other list of, like, historic things happening. I mean, just, you know, an election year, a massive election year that really feels so massive to everyone. Um, and there was, there was one other element of history that someone was saying that was kind of, that, oh, and, and basically a great depression, right? Mm -hmm. Like something or something like that, something of that scale, potentially that kind of economic thing. 
and all of this is happening at once. Like, what, what a time, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I asked a question in our group text um, the other day. That's something I've been thinking about is like where we grew up and I, I'm juxtaposing this where with where I am now living. Um, and it's, it's funny because none of us live there anymore. Like out of however, like the 15 of us that are like close friends or however many it is, 12 or 13, zero of us live in this town at this point. We've all moved. But um, I feel pretty, pretty grateful that I grew up in this place. And it's only, you know, retrospectively because of how like rich and diverse it is. And I feel like we are really lucky uh, having that and growing up around that. And I've just been thinking about that a lot because if I had grown up around here, I wouldn't have had that. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it was actually like not, um, we wouldn't have had to go too far to find a less diverse place too. Like I remember going with our friend Nick, who's black on a camping trip one time and somebody made a racist comment to him that I just was completely like floored that it even happened. And it was just like an hour from where we lived. And I was just like, wow, this, I feel like I'm in a different world. Like I just can't imagine this happening in our town because it was a diverse town and there were just people of, it's, it's amazing, you know, our town has Trenton on one side and Princeton on the other side. So, you know, kind of a lot of poverty and a lot of wealth. And if you were to drive from one side to the other in, in a 20 minute drive, you're just in this completely different place, you know? Um, and so our public high school would just have people from that whole spectrum, like people living on the wealthier side of town, but still going to public school, people whose families were in poverty, people of different races, immigrants, you know. I feel like we had an over-representation and, you know, we didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. And there's also just a diversity of experiences where we grew up too, like close to New York and Philadelphia, close to the Appalachian Mountains, close to the beach, close to, like, we just, there was just a lot there for us, you know? Yeah. I think we're pretty lucky because you know, we grew up to be, uh, I mean, who knows how we would be otherwise. Maybe we'd be the exact same people, but I feel like we're all like uh, pretty rich with experience and, and pretty interesting and tolerant people, open-minded. Yeah. Well, and part of that's also just because we were able to find each other and, you know, we we all just want to be around i mean there are there are assholes in our school right we had a lot of problems but uh, racism wasn't really one of them well but would you go that far though i mean if you if you ask the black students that we went to high school with do you think they would agree with that no i'm not saying it wasn't it wasn't present i'm just saying it like compared to other places that and compared to other i think in our school we really had a if anything, there was tension around 
like social class and poverty, which is not completely independent of race, but like, I feel like that was more of a, a source of. Yeah. I generally, I, I mean, I've, one of the things I've learned throughout all this is to be, to be humble about the, the experience that black people have versus us. So like, I, I would actually genuinely be curious, like what Nick, or someone would say about this if we said like, do you think our high school had a had significant problems with racism? Like, I probably should know what they would say. That, that's actually an indication that maybe we didn't talk about it enough. Cause I don't know, I don't, honestly don't know. His answer might totally surprise me and I just never asked him, you know, about his experience. Yeah, and I mean, that speaks to our privilege, of course. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, one of, the person I spent the most time with in high school was a black person, like pretty much. So, I mean, that is also different than a lot of people that look like us and their experience. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, I'm happy about that. Like it, I didn't care. It, it wasn't a thing at the time, but now I'm looking back, I'm like, Oh, I'm so thankful that I've had this experience and not some other one where I'm, where I wasn't encountering people that didn't look like me. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I think it, it's, it was such a, it was a great place in a lot of ways, even though we complained about it and it was a crappy place in a lot of ways too. You have to complain um, about it. Yeah, that's right. Because you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. Well, so I, here's one way we could transition to the pandemic. I'm generally, genuinely curious what you think about because uh, obviously you know we've talked a lot on the text thread about the potential second wave and do you hear the thunder in the background by the way yeah yeah we're getting hit pretty hard here in dc i mean and i've read a couple things along the lines of like oh my god uh are there are we gonna have all this spread from these protests right mm -hmm. people are gathering together in large groups every night. This mm -hmm. seems like this could be bad, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that speaks to how priorities have changed, obviously. But also, yeah, these events could be what they call the super spreader events, which anytime I hear that, I just think of Super Shredder from Ninja Turtles. But <laughs> um, they could be Super Shredder events and like, the second wave seems inevitable to me. Um, yeah, no, I, it would be, it would almost, it's like logical, right? Like, yeah. how could you, if once you let people out, you're going to get more cases that just like, you can't argue that fact. Right. And I mean, where I was, people were, people were pretty distant. Everybody was wearing a mask. I wore a mask the whole time. I didn't touch anyone and I had hand sanitizer and stuff, but, uh, so I, and I'm, I think those things work. I think there's evidence to show that those things do work. But at the same time, this is the first time I've been in public in like three months. So who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if you're biologically, let's say you have a super spreader and they're wearing a cloth mask, is that gonna matter? If they're a super, if they're really shedding a lot of virus? Well, you know? I mean, here's the thing, like, the only way you can get this virus is person to person. 
I mean, maybe there are rare case where rare cases of like the dog thing that we were talking about or whatever, but like yeah, or a surface maybe in rare cases, yeah. In rare cases, but for the most part, it's like you need to be in somebody's proximity for a decent amount of time, and you need to like breathe in their their breath. Essentially, mm -hmm. that's that's the only way this works. So, we're, everyone's outside which is a big factor. There are cloth masks. Like I, there still has to be the, this transfer. And I feel like that is blocked. It, like there's nobody that's like spitting 20 feet, you know, like those mm -hmm. people, those, those aren't real things. Like it still is a matter of like being in close proximity to somebody. And the, the odds are still pretty low. You know, I feel like the odds that you are in close proximity long enough and that person is contagious at that moment it's still pretty low right i think and the fact that you're outside would mean that one person would have trouble spreading it to like many people in the same night or something like that it just That's uh it, it it definitely decreases the likelihood yeah i don't know of any indoor protests at the moment but well there was one story in dc so the night um, I saw someone call it like the Battle of Lafayette Square or something like that, uh -huh. you know, that's the name of the square in front of the White House. The, the, the night that uh, they cleared 8th Street and then Trump walked out to take a picture in front of the church. Um, that night, the protesters in D.C., this doesn't seem to have happened. That was three nights ago as we're speaking right now this doesn't seem to have happened on the next two nights after that um or at least one night after that anyway the authorities were law enforcement was really moving the protesters like driving them like block by block i guess foot by foot away from the white house to the point where they actually reached a residential neighborhood that's like I don't know exactly. It got to be like a half mile away. Like I, I, I was like, wow, they were that far north of the White House. Like I can't believe police and riders were this close. So what happened was, so they were pushing them up, this, up like one through street and then onto a side street that is not a through street. And then the protesters were surrounded on both sides by law enforcement, like in a line like this. And so people who lived on this street just started letting protesters into their house because the protesters were like, I think of, I think they, I, I mean, in a lot of other spots around the city, what happened is in an orderly fashion, the law enforcement, law enforcement officials arrested the protesters one by one. You know, I don't think they were going to like, you know, shoot at them or something. It was just like they were, they had them surrounded basically. So, but, but, but they're residential houses. So, you know, this guy, one guy in particular who was on the, on NPR opened his door and like, he was like, I'm, I, there were, had to be a hundred people in my house, like his little like two story row house, which is a heroic act by him, obviously. And, uh, great, you know, um, uh, it, it, you know, and it's like understandable, situation but i just wonder like was everyone in that house wearing a mask you know what i mean and they were there like all night oh really yeah because the the I, th that's the part i haven't read that i don't understand um i saw something on twitter that 
suggested police were like trying to pull them out of the house, but I don't know if that was true. The person who tweeted that seemed to be standing pretty far away. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think basically they all just either were kept in there because the law enforcement was like kind of ready at the door to arrest them or they just were too scared to go out so decided to stay in there of their own volition or something like that. Although that would be maybe the less likely because why would you do that if you didn't have to? And then, um, and then once the curfew was over at 6 a.m., they all left. So they wow. all stayed the whole night, like packed in like sardines. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Well, that doesn't seem ideal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, that's been <laughs> Yeah. I have a question for you that I just mm -hmm. thought of. All right. You're, you're a blue check mark guy on Twitter. I have. Tell me, like, how in the past maybe few weeks or months or even the past couple of days, like, how, how does Twitter play a role as opposed to, like, regular news outlets and like how how's that changed because i'm kind of just starting to use twitter during this like quarantine because i never gave a shit about news really before this quarantine so um i'm curious like what you have to say about that when you say how does how does twitter play a role what do you mean what is the role of twitter like how it seems like that is because you just alluded to it you said you know you look it seems like when you guys share tweets, they're not from like politicians or, or even always yes. like, they're just like random people. Like how does that yeah, happen? Be, yeah. I mean, so on one level it's incredible because it, it is, it allows anyone to publish to the world and you know, lots of internet platforms do that, but uh, Twitter is, is kind of more, more built for like people to just quickly publish things than other platforms I feel like and um, and it's for whatever reason just the way that it's designed and the way that it functions when you have a an event that's unfolding kind of second by second in real time I'm just not aware of anything else that is is able to capture it like Twitter can it's just um, so that is that's in, incredible that like people can sort of become their own news one person news agency in a moment like that right and just like show the world what's going on and tw twitter also bought periscope which is like you can just kind of start live streaming um so you know that's on one level great on on another level is potentially could have negative consequences if the information isn't good but like seems like it is so that's why i was saying this you know uh this video that i saw the person posted it with a claim right they they had a video of cops outside the house and they were saying and the and the tweet said cops are trying to pull people out of the house mm. and you know it wasn't clear from the picture that that was what was happening and it was just a, an image it was it might have been a video i forget but it was it was kind of far away like it was like a half a block away or so so it was a little hard to tell what was going on um so that it may have been true it may have not been and so you have to like make sure that you don't necessarily take it as true fact in the way that a uh, and like as a reporter we we have a lot of training around like how to use twitter and um 
like we have sort of protocols that like some, sometimes we'll even say because accounts get hacked and taken over so you think someone's saying something and it's not them you know like the the head of twitter's account got taken over and he started posting all this racist stuff and people were like what's going on and it was like a hacker just acting like it was him so so sometimes you when you write it in a story you say like uh according to a tweet posted to this person's account as opposed to like this person said on twitter but then certain people you know it, it, generally if they have a blue check mark they the account's been verified to actually be them so you can feel pretty confident that that's what that they're the one writing it anyway so there, there's definitely potential for um disinformation the the other negative aspect of it is um like a lot of social media the more extreme stuff tends to get uh shared more so you could put in as i've been doing hashtag dc protests as searching that just to see the tweets that have that hashtag and like see what's going on but of course you know the tweets that are getting the most retweets and likes are the are often the ones where there's like a confrontation or uh and so you know i remember i forget which night it was one of the nights i was like man it seems like bad out there and then most of the actual kind of mainstream news coverage i read were like oh it was pretty peaceful but like for some reason i had twitter made me feel like all this angst and rage you know um like not that i like the angst and rage was coming at me right like like the the more um extreme emotions so mm. yeah and and, and then there, there literally are like just people who this, this is what russia did in 2016 like there are there are uh armies of of bots that post and promote false information that work together to create momentum for false information on Twitter, which also happens on other platforms too. Um, yeah. So before the, uh, the protests started, what, uh, what were you using Twitter for? Like, how was it factoring into your like work around the pandemic or just maybe your curiosity around it? I, I use it the way I use a lot of social media, which is I tend to not go, I, I don't generally just like open the app. What, what often happens is someone will send me a link to a tweet and then I'll open the app. And then sometimes like an hour later, I'm like, oh man, what just happened? You know, um, mm. uh, I find Twitter very addictive, especially after like nine or 10 PM, like my mind loses all ability to, to like, look away for some reason i've lost my defenses at that point did you find it useful for for pandemic related stuff um i find it useful when this is why i like our text thread because people who kind of have more curated feeds will send me links to tweets and then i'll read them but i don't i don't take the time to find people to follow that are good sources of information i generally i generally just like you know, passive, like I, Ben probably has people he started following for coronavirus pandemic information because he's like paying it, curating his feed to an extent that I don't really do. Like I follow a lot of random people that I probably don't need to because I don't, I just forgot that I even clicked it, you know? Yeah. Well, you also have our, our group chat, which is its own uh, feed in yeah. itself yeah. of curated oh, information. Right. 
So I, I, I consume it kind of passively like once in a while. Someone described, someone uh, else described Twitter to me once. I think this is a good description. It's when you're on Twitter, it's like drinking from a fire hose because it's just like, shh, like all these, the, everything's just so rapid fire and there's so much. And so you never like see every tweet. You, you, you kind of like, you just go and you like drink for a bit and then you're done and you don't, you don't ha ever have like a full picture of what's going on and you never read your whole feed. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. Now that I'm feeling like, like we've gotten moving a little bit, at least my mind, uh, <laughs> we could talk about like how, like what is your work like? So you're a reporter, but like you guys are still not, at the office, right? Yep, haven't been at the office since uh, the you know early to mid March, and that's true for basically everyone at my company, which is like hundreds and hundreds of journalists all over the world. Um, and working from home, I have a desk set up near my front door, so it's like kind of my. It used to be just kind of a dead space with plants and shoes and stuff, and now we're it's like my little space. Um, so that's good to have kind of a separate area where I can go and work. Um, my wife already worked from home, so not a big deal for her. And we've got this rhythm down where we are taking care of our son, who's like, you know, going to be two this summer, like kind of, I'll take him for a few, couple hours. She'll take him for a couple hours and we have like a schedule throughout the day so that we can each get our work done. Um, and it's definitely hard to like be as productive with that as I once was without, you know, if I need to be productive, I end up having to work at night after he goes to bed, which kind of sucks, but um, yeah, what can you do? I mean, the, I'm also on a, well, until recently I was on a coverage area that was like a little bit quieter than it was before the pandemic, but then they transferred me to cover the uh, paycheck protection program. So I've actually been busier the last couple of weeks. I'm sure people have a lot of questions about that. I know I did. I feel like I kind of have somewhat of a grasp on it because we actually you got that loan and use yeah. it. Um, yeah, I feel like we're moving into the phase of it where it is not so much a question of, I need the money. Uh, like most people who, like people seem to have gotten the money if they if they applied for it at this point. And maybe the next stage is now, how do you get it? How do you get the loan forgiven? People are trying to figure that out and filling out that application. And then, um, you know, the thing that we're thinking about from a news perspective is, did it work? Mm. Is this actually helpful? Did the money get where it needs to go? And if not, like, why not? And what policies, like, like should the kind of putting it to the to government, like sort of what, once we find out why it didn't work, go to the government officials and say, well, what, what are you gonna do about the fact that all these restaurants can't really use this, you know? Um, so was the intention to give people this loan so that they could keep their staff on yes. payroll? Yes. But you're finding, this is what it, I've noticed anyway, and you could tell me if you've seen the same thing is that people that um, stopped working because of the pandemic were making generally more money on unemployment because of the CARES Act. Um, so they had 
they, the employees didn't want to be on payroll for that amount of time because they would be taking a hit, which is kind of crazy. So um, it's kind of like backfiring. And I think people are trying to figure out how to like maybe rehire or uh, <coughs> figure out how to work around it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's not, it's far from perfect. It, it definitely helped some businesses. You, you can't deny that. I mean, I think it's now 4.4 million different businesses got loans. So, you know, it'd be ridiculous to say like none of them were helped. Obviously a lot of them needed money and got money. So we should stipulate that. That being said, uh, there, there were a lot of things that weren't perfect about it. So number one, it didn't get out and maybe this was never going to be possible, but it was too late for a lot of people. Like if you, if you closed on March 15th, the loan applications opened, I think on April 3rd. So that's like a good two and a half weeks. And then, and that's when the loan applications opened, not even when you got the money. So like by the time a lot of people got the money, they had fired their staff or late or like they didn't, they, their staff were already on unemployment. So the whole idea was get the businesses money so that they can fire, they can keep their staff on. But, you know, if you've already laid off your staff, you're in a totally different situation than if you haven't yet. So and if you get, an issue. what? And then the loan very specifically states you have to use a certain percentage for your payroll at, in order for if it to be forgiven. To yes, yeah. exactly. It was 75, they just lowered it to 60 today or yesterday. Um, so there was that problem. So then the question was like, well, people were like, okay, fine, yeah, but once the businesses get the money, because we're gonna make them make them have to give it, pay it out to get it, to get the loan forgiven, the hope was that businesses would, would hire their workers back. But as you're saying, the thing that, um, it, it all happened so quickly that two parts of the emergency legislative package were at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. There was this program and then they also boosted unemployment benefits. And I think they even knew this was gonna happen, but they were just like, we have to do something. We can't take the time to fix this. We'll fix it later. And they never really fixed it. So now you have a situation where like your employee is making more on unemployment. so unless you want to like screw over your own employee, you're not going to make them come back to work. And, well, you and can, can give them a raise. You can match it, but then you're um, in a different problem. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure though, whether you can, I think the rules uh, for, for getting a loan forgiven might, you might run into an issue with that because they, they wanted to prevent people from just, um, you know, abusing the system by like, just so let's say you hired your sister and you gave her a huge raise and then the government reimbursed you for that because you got the loan forgiven and then you're you know what i mean like that could be abused so i think there's a rule that says you can't pay them substantially more than uh they used to be making you know what i mean like you can't but actually i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure about that so i probably shouldn't speak so definitively but i think there's rules around that um well yeah you and then there's another, another you know so but that that kind of represents another issue with it which is 
there are a lot of rules and there are a lot of strings attached to the money. There's only certain things you can spend it on. Um, you know, for someone like like your wife or whoever who doesn't necessarily have a lawyer or an accountant that works for their business, uh, it can be a pretty difficult thing to figure out. And there are people who have said, uh, I was just talking to a guy the other day who worked at like a sort of economic think tank who was saying, you know, look, if the goal was to just keep the economy going, there shouldn't have been strings attached with this money. Like, yes, if you, there would have been a lot of fraud and waste if you just say, here's a bunch of money, give it to a lot of small businesses. But, you know, there's probably a lot of fraud and waste anyway. And his argument was like, you know, you, 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 the right thing to do would have been to say, we don't care. Some people might misuse this, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's going to help enough people if we just get it out and let them spend it how they want it, you know? Anyway, I want to ask you, cause you brought this up and um, in our text, but how do I want to word it? Okay. So you, you probably know just from things that I've said that I often have an issue with how, especially science is presented in the media and uh, like that has obviously been a big, part of coverage of the pandemic. Um, and I'm curious, like how, I don't know necessarily the right question to ask, but like, how do you think the media has done? Or like, do you think it's been helpful? Or there's also been a lot of shit coming out because different agendas are being pushed. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious what you have to say about that. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I read enough and watch enough to make a broad statement about uh, to, to be like a media critic, you know, um, I would say I, I, I have like my own observations, but I, I don't consider them to hold necessarily generally, but you know, mm -hmm. just because I think about this stuff, uh, I can, I can say a couple of things. So first of all, uh, being a reporter is difficult. Um, it's great, but it, one of the things that makes it difficult is you're often dealing with issues that you're not trained in and educated in um, because you're educated as a journalist and that is like a, a specific set of skills. Um, one of those skills is being able to uh, very quickly understand something very complex and write a story that is accurate, sometimes in an hour, sometimes in 20 minutes. And, you know, it's it, it, certain, certain reporters may have a lot of experience with the topic, but you also, without realizing it, may be reading an article where the reporter doesn't have a lot of experience. And just because somebody was on vacation that day or they are on a new assignment, like, you know, with the coronavirus, a lot of people, a lot of journalists are, a lot more journalists are covering like science and health than were before and certainly like some percentage of them hadn't really covered that before so they're learning as they go um and so you know you're gonna it's it's a it's a hard thing to do to sort of you you really almost because of that because like my worst day on the job is writing something that's wrong like i don't want to have to do a correction because we our business is built on trust of the information that we're giving so, and if I, if I have too many corrections, like I'm going to lose my job eventually, you know, like we, 
it's important for what we write to be accurate. So uh, because of that, I'm going to be conservative a lot of times. Um, and that may, with someone, th th that may mean that what I write is like kind of very general or uh, maybe a little um, lacking in nuance or like when I understand the topic better personally, I can lean into it a little more, right? Like I, I can be like, you know, this person said this, but I'm going to add another factor to to point out that you know there are some things about this claim that people should think about also. But if I don't have that context because I'm new to it, then I don't know to put that in there, A, and B, um, this person I'm interviewing, uh, that, 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 that's another thing, like you don't necessarily know who the experts are when you're new. So you, you're like, you, if someone's a professor from such and such, like that sounds pretty good. You know, I don't, how am I supposed to like evaluate whether He's a reputable person, especially on the fly on deadline. So it, it's it's situation by situation. I guess the general thought is like I'm not asking for people to hold us to a lower standard. I'm just saying you, you have to be kind of understanding that journalists are human beings and they're not all going to be scientists. And like the role that we play is translating info is a certain role that like scientists don't play, and our role is needed too. It's not. It's it's like part of the ecosystem of how people are hearing about this stuff. Um, I do think there are some just criticism that like, like with, with 2020 hindsight, I feel like the um, coverage has been uh, a little bit like, what's the, what's the right word for it? Like uh, the, the word that's coming to my mind is sensationalist. I don't know if that's fair. But um, I think it. What about excitable? Yeah, that's a good one. That's good. Like, like you've you've helped me understand just because you've studied public health, uh, how scientists kind of think about science and what. I, I guess we've all like as we read been learning more about what you need to feel good about something being an effective treatment or something to to feel strong to feel confident about something being. Uh, a risky activity or the characteristic of the disease or you know and there's been a lot of information flying well like maybe it's this maybe this is maybe this is bad maybe like it lives on services for seven days like i remember reading a story about that and getting totally freaked out a month ago and was that like the reporter who wrote that story's fault i'm not sure i think they were probably just reading the study and presenting the study well, but you know it's like yeah go ahead well, that's the thing is like, I don't, I don't think in say in a case like that, I don't think the reporter did anything wrong. It's just that people are looking for anything to latch onto. And I think that there you need when writing these words, like, especially in science, people can take the right information and draw the complete wrong conclusions. And that is something that I've seen a lot during this pandemic, especially on social media, just like people will look for anything to support what they already think, you know, mm -hmm. just like a confirmation bias sort of a thing. And so mm -hmm. if people are, are terrified and they say, and you say, oh, this virus can survive on the surface for seven days, then they're going to say like, oh, I can't touch anything for the rest of my life until this thing is gone. Right. Or the same people can be like, well, it lives on everything. Like what the fuck? Like, let's go live our lives. Like, so you take the same information and have 
a completely different idea of what it means. And, mm -hmm. and a scientist, th there needs to be more given. It lives on a surface, but that doesn't mean if you have one virus particle that's on a table, you can take it and like put it in your mouth and you're still not gonna get sick. You need like a million virus particles. And so it doesn't mean it's viable. It doesn't mean it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, infect, infectious. Uh, mm -hmm. So like th there's just not enough there. And I've seen that happen a lot during this crisis. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a fair criticism. Like if you can't write a story that gives enough context for someone to interpret the study and, and it's just sort of, uh, you know, and an expert would read that story and then feel like this is scaring people unnecessarily, then, then, you know, that's a legitimate criticism. I think like we need to, we need to be, you need to think about the effect of just like putting something out there without context. E even though there's often a deadline and the story just came out and it seems really important. And so, you know, that's where experience is helpful. And, you know, unfortunately, not everyone can just get experience. Like it takes time, right? I mean, I heard a guy on, um, Again, you can tell I've been listening to NPR a lot. I, my morning routine is is putting on NPR. And there was a guy this morning. Did you see the study about uh, hydroxychloroquine? Is that how you say it? That came out this morning? Yes. Um, the one from like Minnesota or wherever it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was actually really interesting. The, the headlines I had seen about it made it seem one way. Um, I'm trying to remember made it made it seem like basically the study had shown that this drug like everything you thought about it working was wrong like that that was kind of my impression like study says this drug doesn't work and sucks from the headline that's what i got and then when i heard the reporter explain it who was it was very clear that he really knew this newest stuff and he he did not sort of interpret the the study by like adding on things he was just sort of he explained what the experiment was that they did he explained the parameters of the experiment and how many people he explained what they were looking for which was whether the which was a specific thing obviously which was whether the drug prevents the disease not necessarily whether it makes you feel better if you already have the disease but whether it prevents and who the who the subjects were it was just a very like matter of fact presentation of this is what this these researchers did and this is what they found and it and this is why and that was it like it wasn't it wasn't and therefore broad conclusion for all of society like he never said that he just said this is this is what this specific thing was that came out today and i thought it was a very effective like helpful way of characterizing it yeah, th well, that's what science articles are. Like, that's what journal yeah. articles are. They're they're specific to their study, and they have what's called internal validity usually. So, like, it it works with this sample, and under these parameters, these are our methods, and these are the results, and this is what we conclude in this context. And then there's the concept of external validity in in science, like. And it's hard to make that jump a lot of the times because 
and that, that it's basically asking like, okay, this works in here, but does it work in the real world? Mm-hmm. And you need a lot of information to be able to, to make that claim, right? Like I used to work in a lab, a tissue lab where we would, I would uh, infect um, human cells on a dish. It was a cancer lab. So I'd infect them with viruses. I'd, you know, do dose responses with different drugs and experiments like that. And these are cells in, in a plate. And it's like, okay, well, this experiment worked. That doesn't mean anything about the context of like the human body. Uh, it doesn't mean nothing, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work just because it worked here. Like it's a totally different world. But like a lot of people, depending on how it's written or presented or what they already think, they're going to be like, oh, look, 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 like this happened. Like, so that means like, you know, drink bleach, right? Right, right. And, and there's, there's, as a journalist, there's all these sort of decision points along the way. So like one decision point is uh, how do you kind of write that? What, what does the headline say? And that's, that's always hard because you gotta, you gotta kind of interest people. You like, you want people to read it. Um, on the other hand, you don't want to like uh, write checks you can't cash or make it seem like it's a bigger deal than it actually is. Um, so that's a that those two goals are at odds sometimes, right? Uh, making it interesting, but also making it like sober is not always like like sometimes those are going in two different directions, right? Well, uh, I guess I guess when you're publishing to a science scientific journal, you kind of know your audience, and everybody's right. meeting you at like a certain level of experience or knowledge whereas like you know you don't necessarily know your audience is not all scientists or all anything right yeah yeah no yeah and and so we i mean that's what we do that's the role we play is like translating that to the general public right so i i our audience is i mean i guess the wall street journal's audience is different than other news organizations but i I try to think about like, would my mom understand this? Would my, would like, you know, uh, I, I generally picture the reader as being like an educated, intelligent person who can make their own decisions and doesn't need me to do that for them. And so you just present the fact. But anyway, so you gotta, so there's the headline, then there's like the order of the story and the information and how do you, how do you do that? What do you choose to highlight at the, at the beginning? And, and sometimes you're in this situation where you're like, okay, I have this, I have this story. Like, I think I have news. If I write this, most, there's going to be like a certain segment of the people that read it that are, that are going to conclude something that I'm not sure they should, but because they already believe something that they believe, they're probably going to, they're not going to read the whole story. Like, like I, I could write three, three really good paragraphs about here's all this context and why like I'm never going to tell someone this is what you should conclude, but like 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 I guess one example is so I cover the government. Sometimes you'll hear about the government, hear that the government might do something, and that's news that that the thing the action is under consideration, because if they did it, it would be a big deal. And then you write that says, you know, the this government agency is considering this regulation of this industry, and then you know, they might never do it. And, and, and yet like some, sometimes I, I feel like people will read that story and say like, oh yeah, like I heard that, uh, you know, the, the Federal Trade Commission is gonna like make this thing, like totally ban this thing. And, 
they just like assume it's going to happen. They, they don't hear the part about this is only maybe going to happen and and it might not happen. Like they kind of just remember that it, you see what I mean? And that, you know, it's fair because people are reading hundreds of things a day and they don't have time to read every story. So that's, it's not anything like wrong with that on the part of the reader, but but so, I, I'm just saying like from the perspective of the reporter, sometimes no matter how much context you give, it's, it almost doesn't matter because people are going to take a certain thing. So then that leads you to another decision, which is like, do I write this story at all? Sometimes you have to ask yourself like, is, is this something that we should be giving attention to at, regardless of whether, uh, like, that's a, that's a, sometimes as important as what does the headline say? Or, because once you've made the decision to write it, you're, you're, you're giving it life, you're giving it attention, and you have to always think about, like, is that the right decision too, you know? Is this study important enough to even write about? Like you can write about, oh, there's a study that says this thing, but it's probably not a big deal, you know. But should you even write that story? Because people, oh, we got a cat. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Because people yeah. may take that study as gospel when they shouldn't. Yeah. Do you ever? Uh, have you? Ever, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to ask if you had ever backed out, but I. Uh, like backed out of an article, like an idea you were going to write and then decided not to. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we do that a lot. We, we like think we have something interesting and then, you know, it's like this, just not a story here, you know? Um, gotcha. And it, it all, that's a very like subjective decision that, that you kind of, you know, it's, there's not a lot of science in, in like deciding things like how to write a headline and how to, how to write the first sentence and, you know, writing isn't like that. Writing is very, uh, there's there's always more than one way to do it. And you just kind of have to make your call based on the best information that you have. Well, I see that and I appreciate you uh, lending me some insight because I get it. I know it's yeah not easy to do, but like just coming from where I'm coming from, sometimes I'm just like frustrated when I see things that are Well, yeah, you're, you're not alone. Like I write about, so I've written about financial regulation. Lately, I've been writing about technology and, and telecommunications. And so people who are experts will sometimes email me and just like call me an idiot, you know, <laughs> like, and they're not even wrong. It's like, hey, I'm, you know, like, I think a lot of people feel that way when they read news articles about things that they really know really well. And they're like, yeah, that's, you're forgetting about this whole other thing. But like, as the reporter who's been on the beat for a year, I might not have heard about that. So I actually want to get that email because now, you know, you're helping me like get better. Right. I always welcome that criticism. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you forever. Um, I do want to ask you, so like just in general, how, how do you feel in Washington DC these days, just with everything that's going on? Like what's your general like anxiety? Uh, I mean, I, I like, living here uh i like my job a lot and my job is here so um i'm generally happy we we live in a safe neighborhood we haven't seen a lot of uh action in terms of the last week with the protests we live kind of near the capitol but like most of the action has been around the white house which is not really that close to us so um so yeah i mean it's a uh, journalism is can be weird 
in that uh, when there's crazy things going on, like sometimes those things are, are concerning or bad as a citizen, like, but as a journalist, they're actually very interesting. Like there, there's this perverse thing about the job where like uh, when, when uh, crazy shit is happening, it actually like you, you become more busy at work. And in some ways that means your work is like fascinating because historic things are happening, but they're not like always good things. Like this pandemic is horrible and people are losing their jobs. Like, and that makes my work more interesting, which is like kind of fucked up, but also true you know okay rapid fire question yeah given the the protesting that's going on given the pandemic i've never asked it this way before but okay scale one to ten you walk out your front door how like anxious do you feel uh that's a good question i don't really feel that anxious maybe a three okay great and i had another rapid fire let's see if i can remember it rapid Lee. Uh, it's not coming to me. Forget. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's too rapid fire. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's cool. Anything else that you want to cover? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I feel like I I rambled a lot about journalism. That's good. Yeah. We don't have that perspective. Yeah. 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 um, Uh, I I, I would just say like, no matter what, no matter what I said, um, I'm trying to be kind of humble about the, the job that we have. And I know a lot of people are kind of frustrated with the media right now. And I, I guess I would just add that I, I understand that. And I hope people don't, if I said something that, you know, sounds like I'm dismissing that concern. I'm telling people they don't know what they're talking about. I don't, that's not true. You know, I don't think Um, you did. And also you don't represent all of the media. No, I know, but you know, sometimes it feels that way when you, when uh, people, people get mad at reporters a lot, you know, which is fair. I don't get Um, mad at you because you're a reporter. I just get mad at you for, for other stuff. Other stuff. No, I don't think I've ever been really mad at you. So that's nice. Yeah, there's not a lot of anger in our crew, which is good. Do you remember the first time that you and I ever hung out, like one-on-one? Ooh, the first time? I I don't know that I do, but I'm asking you. I don't know. I don't know, man. Let me think about that. I'm trying to even remember, like, the earliest time. I, I do not have a great memory. Okay, I'll tell you. I have a very like sort of deep but uh, not broad memory, if that makes sense. So like certain events, I remember very in a lot of detail, but I don't remember a lot of events from that time in our lives. All right, I would. Here's how I would like to end this podcast. Just throw out everything that's going on in the world. What is what is your favorite memory of me and you, and maybe other people? Hmm. Or any one that you can think of that you like. Uh, well, since your your T-shirt is referencing the Disney trip, that's that's definitely a great memory. Senior year, um, going to Disney World with all the high school friends, and uh, you created a character 
uh, a sort of comedic character that we were prank calling people with, which uh, was was good times. I'm sure we like, uh, you know, that some of the the humor that was being used maybe wouldn't fly in the modern age, which is probably a good thing, but um, uh, th that wouldn't be unique to us, certainly. It's prank calls were, were a big deal back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a pretty awesome memory. Uh, that's definitely among like the hardest I've ever laughed in my life, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. I've got one that, that uh, hopefully you'll be fine with me sharing. Um, me too. I, hope. Okay. <laughs> well, I think you will, but you can tell me if it's not. Um, and I've, I've recounted this to you before and it's, it's so funny to me. Uh, one time I came to visit you in college at Penn. Um, and you know, I mean, I would come to visit a lot cause it was a pretty short drive and we'd go to like parties and stuff. And, uh, we used to walk to that Wawa, uh, at 48th and 48th, 38th. 38th and Walnut Spruce. Fuck. How do I not know that? 38th and Spruce. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm cutting that out. 38th and Spruce, that Walla. No, uh, I, I mean, I lived in Philly for only 10 years. Um, yeah, but like, that's like the college kids Walla. You, you didn't, you didn't I went there occasionally. Walla. Yeah. Um, so we walked there like pretty much every night that I was in town with you guys. And one night, um, we were walking up the street, up Spruce, like from wherever your house was. And uh, I said something like, I told like I so I don't have a very good sense of smell. I've always had a really bad sense of smell, and I to this day have a terrible, terrible sense of smell. And uh, someone said something about like a fart, and I I was like I I I don't know what I don't know what it smells like. I've never smelled a fart. Uh, like I I just like I don't have a good sense of smell. And you you did the classic Ryan move where we're walking and you stop to like contemplate what was just said. Like you could no longer move. You had to stop to think about this. And you turn to me and you go, it smells like poop. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it was so funny. I, I haven't heard that one. I don't know if I've ever heard that memory from you. That's fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, it makes me laugh every time. Also, I would say that again. I, I, I rest. I stand. I stand by that statement. Why would you think that I know what poop smells like? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Wait, so you also don't know what poop smells like? No, not really. Like, I don't have. I good idea. I'm I'm confused. So, do you not like? When you said that you don't have a great sense of smell, I thought you meant that it would just be if there was a an odor, but it wasn't like particularly strong, you wouldn't be able to detect that odor. But if you if you like tried, you you could. You know what I mean? Or is, is that what it is? Like, Maybe. But here's the thing: you shouldn't be able to smell a really strong fart. You I've never smelled a fart, but I I've also never like put my face next to like species so 
Well, uh, if you ever have a kid, you can have that pleasure. Uh, are you fine with me sharing that story? Yeah. Okay. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of that statement. <laughs> you said nothing wrong. You said everything right, I think. All right, um, well, thanks so much, Ryan. This was great. This was nice to uh, kind of take my mind off of stuff and just talk for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, me too, man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. All right, thank you so much. All right, buddy. Have a good night. Night. Spent too much time in California. Now I'm in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania.